all around. You basically had to wade through a moat, I know, to get to church today. So thank you for making it on this rainy, rainy day. Uh, the great thing is that God held back the rain that was supposed to be coming Friday so that we can enjoy a fantastic block party last night. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. We got to partner with a lot of our neighborhood businesses. We got to meet a bunch of our neighbors. It was just a great time. I got to meet a bunch of folks who uh, just kind of heard the music from their apartment, like there or there, and they're like, what's going on? They just came down, and somehow they never even realized that we were a church here, and they were just hanging out, having a great time. So it was, it was a fantastic time. We're praying that they'll be able to return and, and, and join us next weekend when we celebrate the arrival of Jesus. So be praying for that. Uh, we've been celebrating the arrival of Jesus all this month uh, with this series, God Became. We've been celebrating the humanity of Jesus. Uh, before we were studying Revelation, really looking at the divinity and glory of Jesus, and over this month, we're seeing the humility of Jesus in a powerful new way. We've been reveling in the fact that God became one with us because he became one of us. It's, it's so amazing to think about the fact that the creator of the universe became a tiny little child, depending on his earthly parents, depending on his heavenly father. It's just amazing to think about. And then when he grew up, the God who is omniscient and, and knows all things lowered himself to experience life as one of us, so he was forced to learn and grow and develop just like we have to. Well, today, we're going to celebrate the fact that God also became a worker when he came to earth as Jesus Christ. He, he didn't have to. You know, God, he, he could, could have just been kicking back in heaven, sipping margaritas for eternity, but instead, he decided to come to earth and become a journeyman carpenter. He decided to come and work a real job just like the rest of us, which is something that fewer and fewer of us really want to do. I saw a survey that came out this fall. Gallup, they did a massive survey called the State of the Global Workplace this fall. Here's what they found. 60% of us feel completely detached from our work. Just not even attached. 19% of us say we're miserable at work. Only 33% of us feel engaged in our work. That's lower than it was during lockdown, family, all right? We're, we're, we're getting less and less attached to our work. They found 50% of us feel stressed at work every single day. Every day we go to work and we're stressed. 41% of us are worried every day. 22% are sad every day. 18% of us are angry every day when we go to work. Like one out of five of us are just mad that we have to go to work every single day. Even though our companies have come out with all of these flexible work hours and flexible work locations, a lot of us are working not five-day weeks, four-day weeks anymore. Still, we're so dissatisfied being at work these days. And so the result is that the quit rate has reached a 20-year high this year. There hasn't been this much employee turnover since 9-11. Here's the top three reasons that people quit their jobs this year. Number one was low pay. Number two, lack of opportunities for advancement. Number three, feeling disrespected at work. Now, all those are totally valid things to consider when you're trying to figure out where your place of employment should be. But what we're going to see today is that Jesus worked for low pay. Jesus had zero opportunities for advancement. And Jesus probably felt disrespected doing menial, repetitive work with wood and stone that was way beneath the status 
of the one who created wood and stone. He probably felt a little disrespect having to do that. And even so, Jesus worked hard. He worked really hard. He provided for his family. He served the people around him. He added value to the world. He glorified his Father in heaven. And he wants to, he wants to empower each one of us to work the same way that he did. So let's pray. And then we'll let Jesus do some work on our hearts. Father, thank you so much for sending your son. Thank you that Jesus did not just feel like kicking back in heaven for all eternity, that Jesus lowered himself to become one with us and one of us, and that he experienced every part of life just like we do, that he was like us in every way yet without sin. Thank you for the way that Jesus worked on our behalf and still continues to work on our behalf. Thank you for the way that he wants to empower each of us to work in the same way. Help us to see Jesus, experience Jesus, and be empowered by Jesus today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if you got your Bible, you can open to Mark chapter 6. That's where we're going to be. I'm going to start out there this morning. Mark chapter 6, and we're starting out a little bit into the ministry of Jesus here. Uh, we're going to hear from some of the people, though, who grew up with Jesus. At this point in the story, Jesus has already been out ministering, teaching, healing, prophesying all around Galilee, but then he decides to go back to his hometown, Nazareth. And look at what happens in Mark 6, right at the beginning, verse 1. Here's what it says. Jesus left there where he was, and he came to his hometown, Nazareth, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. All of these people who grew up with him, knew him. This is a town of a hundred people, maybe. All these people know who Jesus is. They were astonished. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom that's been given to him? How are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Apparently, his dad Joseph is dead by this point. It's only Mary who's still around. He's just the son of Mary. He's the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. He's just one of those guys. We know that family. Aren't his sisters here with us? And so they were offended by him. Isn't this the carpenter? That's how they think about Jesus. They don't think about him as the son of God, not the anointed one, not the Messiah. They don't even think about him as a prophet, not even a rabbi. He's the carpenter. Yeah, Jesus, he's the guy who fixed my cabinet door when it was broken. He's the guy who fixes my roof when it has a leak. He's the carpenter. Now, the Greek word that we translate as carpenter could actually mean all kinds of things. It could mean a builder, contractor. It could just mean like a handyman. And it's likely that Jesus didn't just work with wood because there wasn't a lot of wood around Nazareth, then or now. There's just not many trees around Nazareth. I've visited Nazareth. It's just a bunch of rocks, basically. That's what's around Nazareth. So most of the houses then and now are built with stone. So Jesus probably worked with all kinds of materials. He was just the guy that you call to build something or fix something. He was a, a woodworker, a metal worker, a stonemason. He just worked with whatever he needed to work with to fix stuff that needed to be fixed. And that's what he did for 90% of his life. 
Think about the lifespan of Jesus. He lived 33 years on this earth. 30 of them were spent just working a job, a blue-collar job, fixing stuff, building stuff, doing the same tasks over and over and over again every day, day after day. When you get to heaven, maybe Jesus will let you read his journal from the time that he was on earth. I don't know, maybe he took a journal, maybe not. If he, if he wrote a journal and he lets you read it, guess what? You're gonna find 11,000 entries that are all the same. That's 30, 30 years of his life. 11,000 entries are gonna be the most boring thing you've ever read in your life. It's gonna say the same thing every day. Woke up, ate breakfast, made the legs for a stool, ate lunch, made the top of a stool, ate dinner, went to bed. 11,000 times, it's basically gonna say that because that's what Jesus did for the vast majority of his life. Man, when a lot of people today think about a job like that, it makes you, makes you shiver, right? We, we, we couldn't stand that. We wanna feel totally fulfilled every moment of every day. And if we don't, in our job, we quit. We quit, or at least we quiet quit, right? That's what's happening now since, since the pandemic. We, we keep getting paid to work even though we don't do any work. Well, guess what? That's not something that was invented during the pandemic. That's something people have been doing for thousands of years. I want you to flip back in your Bible to Proverbs chapter six. Proverbs six. This is a book that Jesus would have read growing up. He would have learned what work is all about from this book. Remember, we've been talking about how Solomon wrote this book for his son, his rich, entitled, trust fund son who maybe did some kind of work but didn't have to work. Kind of like Jesus, the son of God, the, the richest person in the universe. Jesus, as God, he didn't have to work. But as a human growing up, he learned the value of work, probably from passages like this. Jesus read Proverbs. He probably memorized many of these Proverbs. And so look at what Solomon says in Proverbs 6, verse 6. Proverbs 6, 6, Solomon says, Go to the ant, you slacker. That's his word for quiet quitter. We would call them quiet quitters now. Go to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. Without leader, administrator, or ruler, it prepares its provisions in summer. It gathers its food during harvest. How long will you stay in bed, you slacker? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest, and your poverty will come like a robber, your need like a bandit. We're going to see three different ways that we approach work. Solomon's given us the first one right here. Here it is, the slackers. That's what he's calling them, the slackers. Now, that's a, I think that's a great word, slacker, but maybe your translation says sluggard. That's because your translation was written before Back to the Future came out. That's when we all learned the word slacker, right? Mr. McFly, you're a slacker, just like your father was a slacker. I, I love that word, slacker. Quiet quitters is the 2022 word. But uh, it's the people who just keep collecting a paycheck even though every day they're just doom-scrolling Instagram reels, or playing Subway Surfers, or Among Us, or whatever it is they're doing every day. What does Solomon say to the quiet quitters? What does Solomon say to the slackers? How long will you stay in bed? How long will you stay in bed? And he's not just talking to people who actually stay in bed all day. He's talking to people who 
live as though they are in bed all day? How long until you're actually going to do something? Because slackers, they don't like real work, and so they put it off as long as possible. What do they do? They put it on their reminders app for next week. That's what they do. And the next week comes, and they're like, let's just delay that for, for one more week. Let's do that next week. You ask a slacker when he's going to get moving and do something. When will you get up? Well, that question is too hard for him to answer. And so his reply is, is there in verse 10, sitting there at his desk chair, doom scrolling Insta. He says, eh, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest, just a little longer. That's when I'm going to get up and do something. It's always just a little more time. Slackers never say, I won't do it. They never say that. They're just like, ah, not yet. I I need to work my way up to it. I I I need to ease my way into it. And all of the slackers among us, that's me every once in a while, sometimes I I fall into this category. We've always got great excuses, really good excuses. Like there's the exception excuse. We feel exceptional, like, like, we're above everybody else. I shouldn't have to do this work. I, I don't get paid enough. I don't get enough vacation time to do this work. I'm above it. That, that's the exception excuse. On the other side is the everyone else excuse. Look at everyone else at my work. They're all slacking off. Why should I have to do work? I'm just like everybody else. I should be just like everybody else. So it's two opposite excuses all coming to the same conclusion. We become slackers. We just don't do much of anything. So what what does Solomon say to people like us? He says, you got to study the ants. Verse 6, he says, go to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. Without leader, administrator, or ruler, it prepares its provisions in summer. It gathers its food during harvest. The ant works hard no matter what season it is. Like, Right now, we're in the Christmas season. What happens during the Christmas season? Work stops, right? Like December 1st, everybody just starts slowing down, and definitely by December 15th, a lot of times by like December 7th, nobody's really getting anything done at all. I've talked to all kinds of people who are like, oh, this is great. You know, clients aren't calling me. Nobody's bugging me. Nobody wants to do any work during this month. Well, the ants, there's no seasons for them. They do work no matter what season it is. doesn't matter if it's the summer or the fall harvest. They're getting stuff done. They don't procrastinate and put it on their to-do list for next month. They get it done. Yesterday, what were you doing? Maybe you were watching the Vikings game. You made a plate of nachos. You sat down to watch the greatest comeback in NFL history. Well, during the first half, it It didn't look like it was going to be the greatest comeback in NFL history. It was looking like it was going to be the most boring game in NFL history. So maybe during the second quarter, you kind of dozed off, took a little nap. What were the ants doing while you were sleeping? Scurrying across the countertop, looking for the little Doritos crumbs that you left behind. Once they found one of those crumbs, they didn't put it on their reminders app for next week to come and get it. They grabbed it. They went back, they found all their other ant buddies to come and go get the shredded cheese that you left behind too. The ants don't delay doing work because they know something that you don't. 
They know something that you don't. Here's what slackers need to know. Work is good. Your work is good. The ants know that. Work is good. Slackers, we, we do as little work as possible. And people in the ancient world, they thought that the gods were just like us. They thought that the gods created us so that they could be slackers, so they wouldn't have to do any work. They created us to be their slaves, so we would do all their work for them. That's what they thought about the gods in the ancient world. But then you come to the God of the Bible. What do you see there? Genesis 1.1. What is God doing? He's not sitting on his throne contemplating his glory and greatness. He's doing work. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He worked for six days and then rested on the seventh. And he created us in his image. He created us to do work just like he does work. Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, what were they doing? Working. They worked six days a week, just like God did. There's a super popular book that came out a couple years ago called The 4-Hour Work Week. Uh, the, the idea of this book is that you shouldn't wait until your retirement age to retire. It's too late then. You're too old to enjoy retirement once you're at retirement age. Instead, you should have little mini retirements all through your life. And so this guy who wrote the book, he somehow figured out a way to outsource most of his work to Asia somehow. I don't know. I haven't read the book. I've just skimmed it. Somehow he, he outsourced all of his work to Asia, so then he only had to work four hours a week. Four hours a week. That's it. And all of us hear about that, and we're like, that sounds awesome, man. Sounds incredible. Because to us, work is a curse. Work is part of the fallen world. Work is something that was put on us as a result of the fall. But when you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, what do you see? Before the world fell, even in the perfect world, Adam and Eve are taking care of the garden, doing manual labor. They're Naming the animal species. They're doing science and research. That's what they're doing in paradise. Work. That's what we're going to be doing in heaven. Some people think heaven is going to be so boring just sitting around singing or whatever all the time. No, man. You're going to be doing work. In Matthew 25, Jesus told this series of parables about heaven. He told this story about a servant. He goes to heaven. And when the servant shows up, his master says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, and so now I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. You were in charge of a few things down here. You're doing this work down here. Now you're going to do even greater work in heaven. When you get to heaven, you're still going to be doing the things you did before, except you're going to be doing them to a greater degree and with greater joy. Heaven isn't a retirement home. It's a place where you get to do more of what you already love. You have more responsibility, more reward, more fulfillment. If you're an accountant, if you love numbers, guess what? In heaven, you'll still be able to work with numbers, except you won't have to deal with the IRS. It's going to be amazing. If you're a carpenter, when you get to heaven, you'll still be able to work with wood, except you won't get splinters in your thumb. You won't shoot a nail gun through your toe. It's not going to work like that. You're going to be able to do everything you love here 
but do it even better. Do it with perfection. Do it with joy in heaven. You're going to work for all of eternity because work is good. Work is really good. Most of us don't understand that. We don't get it. Look at what Solomon says in Proverbs 26. We'll put this on the screen for you. As a door turns on its hinges, a slacker turns on his bed. A door turns on its hinges and a slacker on his bed. That's it's a great word picture of somebody who won't get out of bed. He just kind of flops back and forth like he's on a hinge, okay? But in the, in the Proverbs, it's never really talking about just that. Solomon is also talking about people who actually get up out of bed. They get up, they get dressed, they go to work, they punch in at 8 a.m., they punch out at 5 p.m., and they look like they're working, but they've actually accomplished about as much as they would have if they just stayed in bed because they just keep doing the same things over and over and over again. They just stick with what's comfortable. That's the second way that we approach work. Second group is the survivors. The survivors. We might look like we're doing things, but we're not really doing anything at all. When people ask how we're doing, we say, surviving. Surviving. We're not moving. We're not stretching. We're not thriving. We're just surviving. You were like, no, man, I'm, I'm doing stuff. I'm moving. And Solomon would say, yeah, yeah, you're, you're moving like a door on its hinges. Back and forth, back and forth, over and over again. You're moving, but you haven't moved. You're still going to be in the same place a year from now, 10 years from now. Maybe you feel like, oh, I'm just too tired to really move forward. Too, too tired to make any forward progress. Well, look at the next verse that Solomon gives us. Verse 15, he says, The slacker buries his hand in the bowl, but he is too weary to bring it to his mouth. Yeah, that's that's kind of survivor mentality. Your boss asks you to do a project at work. You're like, ah, okay. So you bury your hand in the bowl. And then you realize, oh, man, this is going to be way more work than I thought it was going to be. I'm going to have to do all these pages of reading and research. I'm going to have to work through all these lines of Excel numbers. You bury your hand in the bowl, but then you're too tired to finish the job and bring it back up to your mouth. So what do you do? Halfway through the process, you're like, well, let, let me just see what's on TikTok real fast. And then three hours later, you haven't accomplished anything. A lot of times, the only thing that gets us to actually get stuff done done, meaningful stuff done, is when the boss stops by, or the client sends an email, or the, the, the project update meeting is scheduled for half an hour from now. Survivors, we depend on external forces to accomplish anything. But what did Solomon say about the ants? Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, they prepare their bread. Yeah. There's no project supervisor ants. They don't need that. They don't need anybody overseeing them. There's no weekly progress reports for ants. There's no ant motivational speakers. There's no ant team building exercise. They don't do ant trust falls, okay? They don't have any of that kind of stuff. They don't need any supervision. They don't need to answer to anyone. They don't need to be motivated by anyone. 
Ants just do what they do because that's what they were created to do. And so that's what survivors need to know. You were created to do good work. You were created to do good work. Not just work, good work. That's no matter what kind of work you do. One of my first jobs was I was a hotel bellman. And so after school, uh, still in high school, after school every day I'd go over to the hotel and help people check in, get their luggage, get them all squared away. But then after the check-in rush every day, there was kind of a lull. And so the hotel manager would usually send me over to the lobby bar to help out there. I was only 16, so I couldn't get anywhere near the alcohol. So my job was cleaning and polishing. Hours and hours of just cleaning and polishing. It was the worst job in the world. I, I thought it was so beneath me. Just menial work. And so I, I tried for like 20 minutes. I really tried. And then I'm like, no, this is terrible. And I, I just started slacking off, leaving, leaving smudges on the glasses, leaving streaks on the chrome. I just did terrible work. At the end of the shift, the bartender pulled me aside. And he could have just, just, he could have just devastated me. Instead, he wanted to inspire me. So he started talking about cleaning, like, like Mr. Miyagi painting a fence. He started talking about polishing, like, like Yoda stacking stones. Because in that kind of environment, cleaning and polishing, it's not menial work. It, it's almost religious work. It's what sets that space apart from every other space. In that kind of context, there's no room for bad work. There's no room for bad work in any context. I think when Jesus was a builder, when he was a contractor, I think he probably had to deal with lots of guys who did bad work. You know why I think that? Because when you read the stories of Jesus, the parables, have you ever noticed how many of his stories take place on construction sites? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed how many of his stories are about terrible workers, terrible foremen and bosses, terrible clients? Like, Jesus told this story about a house that's built on sand and so it falls over in a storm. Maybe, maybe that's because there was some other contractor who built a house on sand and didn't notice or didn't care. And so then later, Jesus had to come and rebuild the terrible, shoddy work that that other guy did. Jesus told a story about day laborers who complained about their pay. Maybe that's because Jesus hired a bunch of day laborers for some big project he had to do, and they complained about their pay. Jesus told a story about a guy who wanted to build a tower. It was pretty common in those days. If you had a vineyard, you needed a tower in the middle of it. The guy who built that tower in Jesus' story ran out of money halfway through, so the tower couldn't get finished. Maybe that's because Jesus got hired by some guy to build a tower in his vineyard, and so Jesus went out, and he bought all the supplies. He hired all the workers that he would need to finish the job. And then halfway through the job, that guy ran out of money. And so Jesus was stuck holding the bag and cheated out of all that money because that guy didn't prepare and do all the financial work in order to prepare for the construction. Jesus, I think, he had to deal with all kinds of people who did bad work. It's not enough to do work. We were created 
to do our work well. We were designed to do good work. And to do good work for the right reasons. Because there's a third way that we approach work. Group number three is the overachievers. The workaholics. The people who don't have time for their family because they're always out working to provide for their family. That's the, the picture that Solomon paints for us in another passage. Look at uh, Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15. He says, better a little. Better to have just a little with the fear of the Lord than to have great treasure with turmoil. Better a meal of vegetables, just lowly vegetables where there is love than a fattened ox with hatred. Okay, so now Solomon's not talking to the slackers or the survivors. He's talking to the people on the other end of the spectrum. He's talking to the guy who works 60 or 70 hours a week to get ahead. He never sees his wife, never sees his kids because he's always out providing for his wife and kids. But if he's honest with himself, he doesn't really want to see his wife and kids. It's a lot more fulfilling for him to be at work. Because at work, but he's always telling him, great job. That was awesome. Well, you did a hey, great job. When he's at home, nobody ever says great job for helping his kid with his homework. Nobody ever says that. He'd rather be at work. But still, he knows he should spend some time with his family. So he takes him out for dinner on Saturday night for a meal of fattened ox. That's the best meal that you could get in those days. Best food around. What would it be today? I don't know. Omakase sushi at... Maru, you know, some, something like that. Best food you can get. They go out for dinner Saturday night, but he doesn't know his family anymore. They got nothing to talk about. There's just silent hatred hanging over the table. You know what Solomon's telling us in that story? A workaholic is just another kind of slacker. It's the same thing. Workaholics are just busy slackers. There are lazy slackers, and there are busy slackers, and they both have the same exact motivation for what they do. They both just want to avoid the things in life they don't like. They want to avoid the things in life they're not interested in. Both of them have idols that they worship. The lazy slacker is looking for peace and rest and comfort. The busy slacker is looking for money and power and applause, and neither of them are looking to God. Neither of them are trusting God to give them those things. And so here's what overachievers need to know. Here's what we all need to know. Your work isn't about you. Your work isn't about you. We all need to know that. Work isn't what gives you income and fulfillment and purpose in life. Work isn't what's taking you away from what's really going to give you fulfillment and purpose in life. Your work, it's about God. It is God's calling on you and for you. Paul says in Colossians 3, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. Whatever work you do, do it from the heart as something for the Lord and not for people. Whatever work you do, do it to glorify Jesus. Because God can use whatever it is you do to glorify Jesus. Your boss isn't your boss. 
Jesus is your boss, and God can use whatever you do to bring glory to your true boss. When Jesus was born, somebody made that manger that he was laid in. Somebody harvested the, the, the hay that he was nestled in. When Jesus was growing up, somebody grew the wheat that he ate for dinner every night. When Jesus was doing ministry, somebody graded the roads that he walked on from city to city. When Jesus was crucified, somebody planed the wood that became the beams that he was hung on. When Jesus rose from the dead, somebody carved that massive stone that Jesus rolled away when he escaped from the grave. There's thousands of other people's work that made it possible for Jesus to do his work. His work living a perfect life that he could give you his righteousness. His work dying on the cross so he could take away your sin. His work rising from the dead so he could give you new life. Jesus has always been working for you. And he still is. Colossians 1 says right now Jesus is holding all things together for you. Hebrews 7 says right now Jesus is interceding before the Father for you. Family, Jesus is always working for you, always, so you can do good work for him. Let's pray together. Father, how amazing that is, that you didn't have to do anything for us. All of us rebels and sinners who shook our fists in the sky at you, you didn't have to lift a finger for us, but out of your love, grace, mercy, you chose to come and work for us. That Jesus worked a real job for 30 years and then did the work of ministry for three and then ultimately worked on our behalf through his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave and now still works on our behalf as our advocate before the Father. Thank you for all of the work that Jesus did for us and still does for us. And so, Lord, I pray that Jesus would empower us through the Holy Spirit to do good work for him. No matter what it is we do for work, no matter how obscure and unnoticed it might seem, Lord, I pray for all of the stay-at-home moms in this room, construction workers, teachers, office workers, government workers, military, police, firefighters, all of the different folks that you've called to do work and to do it well because of the work that you've done on our behalf. Empower us through Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.